going to be slightly different today. Uh, less talking from me, Ray, and uh, more reading of the scriptures, Ray. <laughs> okay, but uh, as you can see, um, we're looking at the book of Ruth. We're starting a new series. We've just finished looking at one and two Peter with some really good, helpful, practical uh, Christian living um, in that. And, uh, and this morning, I just want to give um, an introduction and an overview um, to the book. Then in subsequent weeks, other preachers will come and look at the principal characters of Naomi, um, Ruth and Boaz. And they'll do those separately. Um, we've got a couple of visiting speakers in the middle of that, so we're, this will last about five weeks, uh, something like that. So let's, let's ask God to help us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way your word has inspired our worship this morning. Father, it's, it's so important that we worship according to truth. We thank you that your truth has come through your word. And we worship the God of truth and love. And uh, Father, we ask you now, Lord, will you just touch our hearts, open our eyes, touch our spirits, Lord, that we may respond appropriately to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, there's a question mark on there, isn't there? And the big question is, where is God in a time of crisis and great pain? That's a big question, isn't it? A big question that often people ask. Is there any affirmation of God's presence and power in the lives of his people when they are wracked with tragedies? This is a beautiful story and it's part of God's response to that question. We have to see it through the narrative, through the story. And it is a great story. Um, people who um, are not necessarily interested in the things of God, um, they still reckon this is a great story. It's got all the ingredients of a good story. It's moving from tragedy, emptiness, hopelessness and bitterness through hope and faith to joy and fullness. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And if you look at it from a theological point of view, you could say it appears to be beginning with God-forsakenness and then finishing with God-blessedness and also um, a, a revelation uh, of God's prophetic destiny for the earth. And what I, I mean by that is that this is about the people of God, the Jews, who came out of Abraham and God promised Abraham, didn't he, that through him there would be a family and through that family there would be a great family, they'd fill the earth and that all the earth would be blessed through them. And what we actually see through this story is some of that is fulfilled. It's a human story, and we get very intimate with the, the people concerned but God's bigger picture comes out of it as well. Um, Naomi is the key figure with whose experience, experiences we are invited to identify. We can't help, when we get to, to know this lady, to identify with her experiences. And um, what happened to her in her family crisis portrays faith, which can be awakened in our struggles. Right? Because faith has to be awakened sometimes. 
So the story starts with tragedy, family tragedy. And the loss of family is, for most people, the greatest tragedy. You know, for all the dysfunctionality that we see in families in different situations, nevertheless, uh, for most people, it's the most precious part of their life. And when things happen in their families, it's perhaps the greatest of tragedies. We live in a fallen world, don't we? We have to accept that fact. The world is not the way God originally intended it, but sin came into the world and corruption, and we're living the result of that. And um, one way or another, um, we're affected by it, either directly or indirectly. And life can seem dreadfully unfair at times. Doesn't life seem unfair? You get lovely people who make wonderful contributions in the world and their life is snuffed out. You get somebody who's a waster, uh, if you like, and causes nothing but trouble and they live for a a long life. And it just seems so uh, unfair. And um, it can sometimes seem more unfair for people who consider themselves to be the people of God, whether it's the ancient people of God, the Jews, or whether it's Christians, because we are the flock under his care. We somehow expect some kind of protection, don't we, from God. And um, it's, it's hard when we find that we have to go through often the same troubles that other people have to go through. And you have to say, well, why? What's, what's happening here? Where, where is God um, in all this? And it can even be harder for some Christians because they may have to suffer persecution, which the unbelievers uh, don't. But, you know, knowing that God has an ultimate purpose for us is the, the blessed hope, if you like, of the New Testament, isn't it? That the, all the New Testament writers are saying actually you're now a citizen of heaven. This is your ultimate destiny. This is what you are saved for, your full salvation. Uh, Jesus has gone before you. He's the forerunner and and he is preparing a place for you. And and God, yes, God wants you to live a life to the praise of his glory now and accomplish much, but ultimately uh, everything will be fulfilled. We will inhabit a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no tragedy, no pain, no suffering, no sin, right? no death. And that is the hope that we are to look towards to sustain us in times of difficulty. But nevertheless, if God is silent, our natural cry may well be, God, where are you? you know, in the midst of pain, God, where are you? What is the purpose of all this? And maybe, like Naomi, as you will see in this story, we may even accuse God of being the source of the pain. We may feel, well, God is sovereign, it must be God. He must be the source of the pain. She declares in bitterness, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And this claim is neither confirmed or denied. It's, it's not, as I say, it's not confirmed or denied. She just... She just blurts it out, uh, that this is how she feels. And um, unlike God's dealings with Job, and if you remember, Job had everything stripped away and he was left with a miserable wife and some unhelpful friends, but at the end, God restored everything to him and gave him great blessing at the end of his life. But he doesn't do this with Naomi. He doesn't give her back the family that she loses. But he does bring redemption. And we've sung this morning, haven't we? There is a redeemer. 
He does bring redemption to her circumstances and in the place of emptiness he gives her joy and fullness in her old age. And it's this issue of redemptiveness or redemption that I believe this lovely book speaks to us. You know, we do live in a fallen world. God is going to restore everything one day. So what about in between? In between there is redemption. And that's what God wants to bring to us. It's interesting that um, although this book tells us so much about God, there there are no direct words from God. Um, There are no commands, no words from a prophet, no judgments from the writer. It's All we have is the narrative and the words spoken by the, the characters, the principal characters in the story. Yet it's a wonderful story that displays God's loving providence towards his people. Even when they make mistakes and display wrong attitudes. Um, Clearly, we see at the opening of the story, there are some mistakes, I think, that are made. And and yet, God is still committed to his people. God does not cast us off because we make mistakes. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up over that and think, God must have finished with me because of all the mistakes I've made. No, God is committed uh, to his people. And above all, it demonstrates God's ability to bring redemption in the midst of the most tragic circumstances. Um, When some months back we were considering what we should preach after 1 and 2 Peter, having decided that we'd go to the Old Testament again, the last time we were in the Old Testament was in Nehemiah. You remember, we did a series in Nehemiah. Um, I think it was more by... Intuition, intuition than logic or a real word from God, but that we selected Ruth. We thought this would be a, 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 you know, a relatively short book and, and one that would be very profitable. And li- little did we know at the time just how relevant this message would be uh, for Joe and I and for the church as a whole, not just in relation to us, but in relation to what other people are going through. Um, most of you will know that um, we're anxious for our son who is in a hospital in London with a life-threatening condition and with our minds racing over all the possibilities of the the consequences uh, of this. Yet, in the midst of our pain, God has already begun to redeem the situation uh, because on Good Friday, he committed his life to the Lord. And... uh, It's just amazing. God didn't have to show us something at this point. But there is redemption that is coming, even out of uh, all this. There's still pain. There's still pain, but there is redemption. And of course, we're not alone in this church in this kind of suffering. There are people here today who are suffering either because of their loved ones or because of their own illness. And I trust that this, as we go through this book, it will be a, a, an inspiration and a comfort uh, and a, a way of raising your faith in what for you, and I can understand to some extent now, some very difficult and painful circumstances. So it's so, so relevant. But what do we do with, with pain and suffering? Just a little quote from Warren Wearsby. If you know the writer, Warren Wearsby, he's written lots of books, very famous books. And... Um, writing about Ruth, about the book of Ruth. When trouble comes to our lives, we can do one of three things, endure it, escape it, or enlist it. If we only endure our trials, 
then trials become our master and we have a tendency to become hard and bitter. If we try to escape our trials, then we will probably miss the purposes God wants to achieve in our lives. But if we learn to enlist our trials, they will become our servants instead of our masters and work for us. And God will work all things together for our good and for his glory. He's there quoting Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So in a moment we're going to read right the way through Ruth. Four people, four different people uh, are going to read a chapter each. David Horrell was going to be the last reader but he's not well. I'm very sorry to hear that, he's not well. But Margaret has stepped in She's going to take his place. But we're going to read right the way through it. But just before we do that, let me give you just a little bit of background and make a few comments. Okay. The story is set in um, the period of Israel's history called Judges, and that's the book just prior to Ruth. And um, it was a very low point in Israel's history, Judges. Uh, it follows the conquest of the land, not all of it, not everything was taken, but... It, a kind of triumphal time with Joshua and this is a very low period and it's summed up by the comment in Judges in chapter 17 and repeated in, in, in chapter 21. There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it's a record of division, cruelty, apostasy, civil war and national disgrace. Um, and we know that the people repeatedly went running after foreign gods, which was particularly offensive to God. You know, there's some highlights in the sense of well-known stories in Judges, like Samson and Gideon and so on. And of course, one of the things that Gideon had to do was to get rid of all the idols and things that his family had accumulated. And so it was a very... Um, low period um, for them. So it's, in, it's incredible really that this beautiful story should take place at such a dreadful time in the nation's history. But it does demonstrate that in spite of all that, God still loved his people. Uh, and um, he, he enlists them in his redemptive purposes. God, remember, he is redeeming something out of what is pretty chaotic. And it's his redemptive purposes. And that's, that's true for us, isn't it? If we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, that in the midst of difficulty and pain, we're still part of God's beautiful story. All right? God has a beautiful story that is centred around his lovely son that we've been worshipping, and we're part of that. Um, but it doesn't always eliminate the pain, but God often helps us through it. So the story opens with a Jewish family from Bethlehem. When we think about Bethlehem, we start singing Christmas carols, don't we? It's, uh, that's where we focus, really. But, of course, that's very appropriate uh, because Jesus was the son of David, whose town was Bethlehem, whose ancestors we are actually reading about now. So Bethlehem, that's where they came from. And um, Elimelech, the man there, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Marlon and Kilion, they're facing famine in the land. What do you do when you face famine in, in the land? Right? Well, you can either be spiritual and wonder why we've got famine in the land 
In many cases, it was God's judgment on the people. God had warned, when God gave the law through Moses, he warned the people that if they wandered from him, if they uh, failed to obey his laws, if they went running after other gods, one of the punishments could well be famine. And we're not told, but maybe this was part of God's punishment. So what do they do? They get pragmatic and they say, "Um, we want food, so where will we go? We'll go to a foreign land. It was interesting that Janet should read um, from Psalm um, uh, 84. This is David, an ancestor of these people later. He says, better one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord house of my God, then dwell in the tents of the wicked. Well, this family decided that for the sake of food, they'd go and dwell in the tents of the wicked. That was their choice. There's no comment on it, but that's clearly their choice. So without apparently seeking the Lord's will, they go in search of food in a foreign land, the land of Moab, which was their enemy. It was the enemy of Israel. And worse than that, uh, not just a hostile place, but it was renowned for its degrading idol worship. It was the worst of places that they could have gone. And um, they planned to visit for a while, it says. And sometimes there are things that attract us or draw us, and we know they're wrong, but we say, well, I'm only going to do it for a while. You know, I'm only going to go off the, off the rails for a little while. I'm only going to delve into this thing for a little while. I'll be back on track soon. Actually, they stayed 10 years, long enough for the boys to marry Moabite women. And uh, this is something that Israelites were commanded not to do. Not because God is racist, but these women were idol worshippers. And we know when we looked at Nehemiah, and if you look at people like King Solomon... Um, that godly people get led astray when they marry uh, others who are idol worshippers because they want to please their spouse, their wife. And so we find that so often uh, these people who started off in godly ways embraced the idol worship and brought them um, into their lives. Early in the story, first... um, Oh, let me just... I've missed a bit. (laughs) Although... Um, these, they, they, they are in a, a hostile land and the, the boys have, have married Moabites. Um, to their credit, there's no indication that Naomi and her sons turned from the living God to idols. There's no, there's no hint of that. On the contrary, the story reveals that the wives were willing to embrace the God of Israel and to even to go to Israel and to claim um, that, the, that this is their family, this is their God, And so in spite of of being in a foreign land, there was obviously something about Naomi that that spoke of the living God. And even though there's a point at which she's obviously bitter about her circumstances, nevertheless nevertheless, it was enough to convince her daughters-in-law that they should follow uh, the living God. Early into the story, first Elimelech and then the sons die, leaving Naomi destitute. As you well know, um, widows in those days um, were pretty helpless. There was no welfare state, nothing. And only to be married was to be secure. You were very insecure as a widow. Uh, And her grief would have been compounded by the fact that she had no grandchildren that would carry on the family name. And that was so, so important for them that they would not carry on uh, the family name. It was so important that that name 
should not uh, be lost. And uh, anyway, Naomi hears that God has blessed his people. Well, well, God has blessed his people and the famine is over, there's food um, back in Israel and um, she decides that she will return. That's a good choice. It's a good choice to return to the people of God. Let's get back on track and amongst the people of God and she tries to persuade her daughters-in-law to go with her. No, sorry, she doesn't. She tries to persuade them to stay. Um, that's what maybe she would have liked, but she decide, she tries to persuade them to stay and she tells them, you return to your own families now, you return to your own way of life, I'm going to go back to Israel. But what we find is um, that out of, we think out of uh, love um, for her mother-in-law, Ruth is determined uh, to stick with her uh, and to be committed to her wholeheartedly. Now, I don't know why Naomi sent the girl, wanted to send the girls back home, whether that was out of genuine concern for them or whether she was a little bit embarrassed about taking Moabite women back into Israel. But nevertheless, what we see is, at this point, um, redemption starts for Naomi. Right? She's destitute, she's lost her husband, her sons. She was going to send even her daughter-in-laws away, or daughters-in-law away, Um, But Ruth says she's going to stick with her. And um, it is uh, this commitment of Ruth and her exemplary character interacting with the laws in Israel and the customs that actually brings redemption to to Naomi. And also we have the provision of a kinsman redeemer, which we'll hear about. So then, in all this, whilst God is restoring Naomi's joy and carrying on the family line, Um, he is working out his higher purpose, fulfilling his promise to Abraham to bless the whole earth through him. Enabling Ruth, and this is the scandal, a Moabitess, to be the ancestor of the Jewish saviour, of Jesus. And that's what we find. God is working out his purpose in this lovely story, um, not just helping this woman who is in such distress, but also fulfilling his wonderful purpose to bring forth the Messiah into the world. So we're going to read now, um, no more of me, and we're going to have um, four people read, and um, we'll just let the story speak to us, and maybe if we've time, we'll pray at the end, but we'll see how we go. Father God, we ask you, please, again, Lord, your word is powerful, it's life. We ask you, please, will you speak to us through this story? Will you touch our spirits? Lord, will you cause faith to rise in our hearts? Will you cause us to wonder and marvel at how you are able to rule and overrule in the affairs of men, especially amongst your people? Lord, open our hearts and our our, our eyes to see your goodness and your love and your commitment to your people. First of all, it's Helen. Thank you.
don't call me Naomi, she told him. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I, had, I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in a shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes and that you have noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some, good, some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her, for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has, stopped, uh, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead yet. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. 
removed the Moabite has said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvesters were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley, and he put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? She then, then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happened for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kingsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, 
sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Noab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. At this the kingsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of the property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all those in the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in the Epaphra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring this woman gives you by this young woman, may the, may the family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and, she, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women lived there, said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Yeah, great story, and um, in subsequent weeks we'll be looking at those particular characters and what God speaks to us through that. Let's pause for a moment. If you feel something you want to pray, uh, then, then please do that, and we'll close in, in a couple of minutes. But I want to give thanks to God for his purposes or whatever. But just give you a couple of minutes.
The psalmist said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Then beyond that, there is a table prepared for us, even in the presence of our enemies. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We, Lord, we're puzzled sometimes. You are a mystery. Lord, we would love to contain you, understand you. Um, Lord, know everything that you're doing, um, but you are God. And sometimes we just have to say, you are God. And we worship you. And uh, so, Lord, as we go, we pray we'll take this story with us and the, uh, the hope and faith that it engenders. And, Lord, in these coming weeks, Father, you'll teach us more and more about your loving providence over your people. Lord, continue with us. We pray, Lord, as we fellowship and share and go to our homes, Lord. We bless you for your love and presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're always available to pray with anybody um, individually if you would like that bit before you go. Otherwise, there'll be a time of refreshment uh, before the morning's through. Thank you.